this week as I've gone through this word and it's saturated my spirit. I've, I've been so moved. We're gonna talk about Jesus the King. And Palm Sunday, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem and people start saying he's the king. <clears throat> A little boy was sick on Palm Sunday and he stayed home with mom. Dad went on to church. The little guy stayed home. And dad came back with a palm branch. And his little guy said, hey dad, what, what is that for? And his dad said, well son, it was Palm Sunday and they gave us all branches. And you know, in the, in the, in the Bible, when Jesus showed up, they all waved the branches. So that's what we did. And he goes, man, first time I don't go in a long time and Jesus finally shows up there. <laughs> so I, I'm hopeful that he'll show up today and attend his word with this message because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and the Holy Spirit seems to always bless the word and the message of Jesus Christ. You say, why do we feel the presence here? I think the Lord's faithful to show us presence in this fellowship. I think it's a lot because he likes the way we lift him up with choruses. We don't cut corners or shy away. We don't ask people to come through the back door to come to Jesus, it's the front door. His name is Jesus, he's the savior of the world. He's full of love and he wants them to come be his child. And as we, as we lift up his word in that message, his presence attends that. It really does. So let's look at his word today. The first thought I have for you coming from Matthew 21 is this thought was that, is that Jesus was a different kind of king. He's kind of being inaugurated this day in, 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 a, in, a, in a way. Let's read what it says in Matthew 21. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, <clears throat> they came to the town of Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. So here's what's happening. <clears throat> They're heading in to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's a city of, of, uh, of scores of thousands, but when, when the Passover happens, there's, there's two million people that just focus on this city and overtake it, and it's an amazing event. And that's what we know historically, and we can see it here in the Bible. So they're all coming for the Passover. Now, what is the Passover that they're celebrating? Remember, they're Jewish. They're celebrating the time, 1,500 years previously, when Pharaoh had hardened his heart and wouldn't let the people of Israel go. Do you remember that story? And there was a series of miracles that happened uh, and, and uh, those signs to, to let the people go. And the last one was the plague. The, the, the plague that, that would um, have children, your firstborn, die. And God had said through his servants to the people of Israel, slay a lamb, slaughter a lamb or an animal, and wipe the blood of that lamb over your door. And when the death angel passes by this way, if the blood of the lamb is over your door, the death angel will pass by and your firstborn wouldn't die. Well, everyone who did that, their firstborn lived. And everyone who didn't, their firstborn died. And historically, it means a lot to them. They celebrate it every year for 1,500 years. And so now they're coming into the city. 
They know about the Passover lamb. Remember the Passover lamb because they're really good students of the Old Testament, the scriptures. All of the Jewish people were well versed in the scriptures. And they understand that someday the spotless lamb of God, the Messiah, will show up. And so they would come together and celebrate how the Lord delivered them. And then they would even sing choruses and songs about the Messiah who would come someday to be that lamb. This is the event that Jesus is about to march into. An event where they remember about the blood of the lamb. Two million people are there. The city is teeming with excitement because people love to come and celebrate this event. After all, they're taking off work, right? They're putting things down. Uh, It's a time where they can just go worship and enjoy their friends, and, and they like it. Up to this point, Jesus had kept his identity as the Messiah a secret, right? I mean, every now and then he'd say something to a couple. But do you remember the miracles he would do and how he'd say to them, go and tell no one of this miracle? Does that ever seem strange to you when you read that in the Bible? Well, why didn't he want anyone to tell? You know, wouldn't faith rise up and more people be healed? Well, here's one of the reasons and maybe the key reason. Jesus knew because of the power of the miracles that that people might try to enshrine him as their king and Messiah, which he was, too soon. And there was a certain time that he knew would be his time to come forward and offer up his life. And he was waiting for the moment that would come where he could be seen as the king and then be slayed as the spotless lamb. I, I don't like the term spilled when people talk about the blood of Jesus. And it's because, you know, they, uh, Jesus spilled his blood on the cross. I've heard that before. And I know people mean well. But I, I don't like it very well because spilling is an accident. What you're seeing here is Jesus about to orchestrate a massive demonstration when he rides in on this donkey like this scripture is talking about where he's going to show them that he is the king and he is Messiah. And it's going to cause so much ruckus and such a a, a fracas as they move into the city that one of the servants of the Lord, Matthew, when he wrote in the gospel said that there was such a stir and he used the word uh, to, to talk about what the stir was, the word that's normally translated in the New Testament for earthquake. I mean, you talk about ticker tape. It was bigger than anything, louder than you've seen. And there was a massive celebration. The one who'd been trying to keep it secret for so long was now saying, my time has come. I don't like spilled, I like the term shed. Because what Jesus was doing was moving in to show he was king, knowing that what would happen is the religious leaders would get ticked off and they would now start to move to kill him. But now his time had come. I like the term shed because it was willful, deliberate, and purposeful. He chose the time to lay his life down because that's what he had come to do. That's what's going on here. He's orchestrating this massive demonstration as he moves into the city. But look at the way he enters. I mean, he's about to show them he's the Messiah, but um, it's, it's really interesting. Matthew 21 says, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you, and he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. Really? Jesus the king is gonna come in riding on a donkey? I mean, don't don't we want our heroes to come in with a blaze of glory, 
right? Don't, don't we like to see a grand entrance? I mean, you look at the heroes of the world, right? Let's talk about the Blazers, though that wasn't very heroic last night, but it's going to get better. It's going to get better. But you ever notice how they introduce their heroes for the Blazers? And so many people worship these guys, you know? The lights come on. They're spinning around. I don't know if you've ever been to the game. And now, forward for the Portland Trailblazers, LaMarcus, 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 Aldridge, Aldridge. And everybody goes crazy, you know, and the lights are spinning and it's just a cool thing. And, and, and we like those kind of grand entrances, but a donkey he comes on. Why a donkey? Because Jesus is a different kind of king. He's not the kind of king that we've seen in this world before. He's not a proud, demonstrative king. He's a humble king. And that donkey was synonymous with humility. Conquering kings in those days in the Roman culture would come on a black stallion or a white stallion. Behind them would be this huge entourage of soldiers and servants. thousand, a thousand or so would follow them. And when royalty came through in those days... You wonder why the palm branches, why the clothes laid down for Jesus when he came in? That's what they would do for royalty when they came in on their horses and they drove by on their, their uh, pompous cellar or demonstrations. They would lay their clothes and branches down and royalty would pass by. And they, they did this, uh, th- this arrogant type, type of thing and Jesus comes on a humble colt, a donkey, a foal. Why did he come? Because that's a symbol of humility. This king is humble. This king is not coming to conquer just by force, though he can. He has that power. This king is coming humbly to let everyone know, I won't force you to, but I'm about to lay down my life for you that you might be saved. I don't want to destroy you. I want to save you. Conquering kings wanted to show their power and they want people to submit or else. But Jesus comes And he offers mercy and grace with his life as he lays it down. This is a different kind of king. He comes in humility. Showing humility when one has great power and status is amazingly impacting. I've I've told this story before, but it seems fitting right now. Years ago, I went to Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho's church in Korea. And that is a church, the last time I heard, they have 800,000 people who attend the one church. Not the denomination, the one church. And you can only go to church once a week and they just have a number of services. And so they'll put 30,000 at a time into this building and then they'll send them out. And they have 300,000 leaders, uh, uh, you know, in, in that church. And it's just, he, at one time when I went, this guy was one of the top believers, Christian leaders in the world. And his small group stuff that he did, because everyone was in a small group, and that's how they could run that many people. They ministered to the mass, and they ministered in small groups. Uh, and, and it was just phenomenal what the Lord was doing in Korea. And I got to be there at a time when it was just huge. And I remember uh, walking into his office. I went with the pastor of this church, Warren Carlson. And he, had used, he used to be on the board of Dr. Cho years ago. And so I was ushered into this room after the service and I was in this room with just a few people and Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho. And, and um, this was a man who had great spiritual authority, not only in Korea, but the world. And it was really interesting to me. I'm talking about humility now. Um, there was Kool-Aid and, 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 um, and, and some nuts, a mixture of nuts that they had for us when we came in. They were expecting us to come back there. And he had three or four staff members with him. 
But when we walked in, he greeted us, and then he walked over, and one by one, he served each of us. Nobody else served us. He served us. He gave us the drink, and then he gave us the nuts, and, and I'm telling you, it, it moved me back then. I was a 23, 24-year-old youth minister, and I thought, wow, this guy has all these people around him and all this authority, but he wants to serve. I later asked one of the pastors, and he said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he wants to make sure his heart stays in the right place. And, 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 you know, it's for him, but it's for others, too, to know that God's leaders are servants. And uh, it moved me that he would show humility to me and to others that he did not know. <clears throat> and, and it's powerful when a leader with great authority shows humility. That is what Jesus is doing when he comes on this donkey. He's showing you that he's the servant of all. He's showing you that he's coming to lay down his life and to give, not to take. And that is a different kind of king than the world has ever seen. But when he's riding in, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, why are they going crazy? You wonder, right? I mean, this guy riding in, well, remember this. The people following him in were from surrounding cities. This is a guy who just raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, just not long before. He'd been doing all kinds of miracles and they'd been wondering, is he the Messiah? Because they'd think, you know, you have that kind of power and, 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 and God in your heart and life so powerfully, you know, could this be the one? But he wouldn't say he was up to that point. He, it, sometimes he said, tell no man about this. But they knew of his miracles. They thought at least he's a great prophet and they were following him. But I want you to see why they went so crazy when he came into town. He came in on that donkey and, and, and it was fulfilling a prophecy. Remember, they're well-versed in the scriptures. And look what happens. Zechariah 9.9. This is a prophecy written 550 years before that every one of the Jewish people, at least the adults, knew about. It's talking about the Messiah that would someday come. Rejoice, O people in Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. Now look at this. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Catch it now, catch it. They've wondered. <clears throat> they know the prophecy. Jesus had restraint and wouldn't, because it wasn't his time, but the time had come, and when he comes in on that donkey, they remember the prophecy, and they start going, he is, this is the one, he's raised the dead, we've seen his power, now he's our conquering king coming, and even though they misunderstood, they thought that he would relieve them of the Roman uh, occupation, they thought that politically they would take over, that's not exactly what he came to do, but they recognized the prophecy, and they start to go wild, so much so, it's kind of like an earthquake, it says in Matthew. So he comes humbly. He's a different kind of king, but I want you to catch this now. My second thought today is Jesus is not only a humble king, Jesus is the all-powerful king of kings. Matthew 21, 7. They brought the donkey and the coat to him. They threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people were all around him shouting, praise God for the son of David. Now, there's a better word in most of your translations. As a matter of fact, if you're following, you have the NIV or King James, New King James. It says, Hosanna to the son. 
And Hosanna, it's kind of a cooler word. I like, I like it better. I like the New Living Translation because it kind of helps us to, to hear it in everyday language. But Hosanna is more poetic. So I want to stay with that because let me tell you what Hosanna means uh, in, uh, in, in, in that Hebrew and, and, and in the Greek here. Uh, Hosanna means save us now. So I'm telling you, they get it. He's coming on a donkey. Hosanna comes. It's a hymn in the Hallel. And it was an, a Jewish uh, collection of songs. And it was a psalm. It's psalm one, you'll find it in Psalm 118. Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. And for 1,500 years, or for hundreds of years anyway, they come in and they'll sing that psalm. And they're thinking of the Messiah, Hosanna, the one who's come to save us now. And when he comes in, and they see him on a donkey, they recognize it. Then they start shouting from the Hallel and the scriptures in Psalm 18, the one who has come to save us now. They believe this is the Messiah right here. And they're really excited. And he's more than just a humble king. They're recognizing this is the king of kings. Isaiah 9.6 says this, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now catch this. He's not only a humble king, but look what it says. He is mighty God. That's who Jesus is. Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, coming humbly on a donkey with all power in his hands. We've never seen a power or a force like this before. He is the King of Kings. He's shown power to them over demons. Demons would just flee from people's lives when he would pray. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Sickness and disease would fall away. And they get it. They wondered. They get it. They start saying, the son of David, the Messiah, Hosanna, save us now. They lay their clothes and their palm branches down. They recognize coming on a donkey that he's humble. And he is the king that they've been waiting for. And Jesus presented himself as such. He wasn't ashamed to tell them. He wasn't afraid that he would die. He was just waiting for the right time when the father said, now, now is the time. All other kings and queens, all other people that we would celebrate, all other royalty, they're just humans and they'll disappoint you. There's never been a power. There's never been one more worthy of being called the hero. He's the captain. He's our all in all. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. You ever wonder why people get so excited about um, other people who have gifts? You go to a concert and people just flip out. You know, they'll scream and light their lighters and shout and have fun. And I don't necessarily knock that. It, it can be a good thing. There can be bad atmospheres, but you know, it, it can be fine. But I, I just find it interesting that we'll scream for athletes and shout for them, but we think we're kind of being a little too radical, you know, if we, if we shout for Jesus and throw our hands up to him. Well, let me tell you, the Bible says, shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. It's, it, that, you'll find that consistently throughout the scriptures. So it's something that God's called for his people to do. There's something that kind of notifies your spirit you're excited when you shout. It just kind of happens. If, if you don't feel it, shout it, and you'll start to feel it. It just seems to happen that way when you give him praise. But why, why, do we, why do we worship people so much? It's because every human being was created to worship. And if you don't bow to the king of kings, you'll bow to someone else to try to fill that void. You'll bow to a singer. 
You'll bow to an athlete. You'll bow to a politician. You'll enshrine somebody else because there's a hole in your heart that can only be filled. It's a hole where, where you have need of worship and if Jesus isn't enshrined as the number one force of all of life that you will worship and if you don't give him your allegiance, you'll give it to someone else. Royalty. King of kings. Let's talk about royalty for a moment. Do you remember the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana, 1981 in London? Took, took place um, with great fanfare. It was billed as a fairy tale wedding. 750 million people watched that wedding on television. Wow. The world was pretty interested. The United Kingdom made it a national holiday. And yet, as much as that was celebrated and everybody watched not only in the United Kingdom but across the world, 11 years later, they were separated and 15 years later, they were divorced and it was kind of tragic, right? And look, I don't wanna knock those two because the Lord loves them and wants to minister to them and bless them, but they're just like you and me. They're just people and they're flawed and we have a tendency to elevate and to wanna celebrate. And look, if you wanna watch the royal wedding that's coming up in a month or so, that's cool. You know, I don't wanna rain on your parade. Have fun, just don't worship them, right? I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying today. And you'd think, hey, we've learned our lesson, right? Because we see that these people are, are just people. But, but I saw in a news article this week that they're expecting at the next wedding that's about to take place, I think it's next month, Prince William and Kate Middleton are getting married, right? 750 million watch Princess Di and Charles get married. They're expecting 2 billion people to watch this on television. 2 billion people. And... and, and uh, that, that is about a quarter of the world's population that'll be tuned in watching. And we're infatuated and, and we elevate and we like to see royalty. And I just wanna remind you that no matter who you worship, whether king or queen or prince or princess or athlete, wherever the talent, wherever the gift of leadership, whatever they have, it all comes from God. It all flows from the throne. It's the common grace of God that we all have gifts. It's the fingerprint. It's the thumbprint of God on our lives. If you're a great businessman and you've worked hard, I just want to remind you, nevertheless, that gift you have came from God. Every ability you have to negotiate and to barter and to figure it out, even when you do it with honesty and integrity and you have great results, if you're not careful, you'll, you'll think you're a pretty big deal. But all those gifts flow from the throne of heaven. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. God is the one who gives gifts. And whoever we want to celebrate, it's okay to appreciate, but not to worship. It's okay to see God's fingerprint and say, wow, can you believe that talent that God gave them? It's not okay to enshrine them above the king of kings. Still thinking of this kingship thought. Do you remember the confirmation hearings of John Ashcroft? He was a senator from Missouri and uh, he had a confirmation hearing the 79th to, to become the 79th Attorney General of the United States. And uh, <clears throat> I have the privilege of knowing John Ashcroft. He's a childhood friend of Dick Foth. Once a year we, we used to travel to be with Dick Foth in D.C. He's in Colorado now, but there 
often we would meet just a few of us with the Attorney General of the United States with hundreds of thousands of people under his authority. And uh, I'm not name dropping. I, I hate name dropping. I was just talking to Billy Graham about that the other day. And uh, how many have heard that joke at least five times from me? Let me see. All right. Still worked though, didn't it? I, evidently I like it. Um, but I'm going to tell you, he's a humble man of God. John Ashcroft knows the Bible as good as anybody I've ever met in my life. He loves Jesus Christ. And they were trying to block his confirmation at one time for this reason. It was replayed over and over again in the media. You, you may remember it. That both parties uh, of senators were holding something against him and trying to stop his confirmation. The problem came from a speech that he had given years earlier at a small college where he was explaining to the students why the founding fathers of our country did not want to have a king as they had experienced in Europe. The reason was, and by the way, this is historical fact, but nevertheless, they wanted to stop him for it. The reason was that our founding forefathers believed that King Jesus should be the king of the new world. The words from the speech that Ashcroft gave that they were playing over and over and trying to stop his confirmation for were these words. In his speech, he said it several times. We have no king but Jesus, right? We still don't have a king. We have politicians, we have people of power, we have authority, but we don't enshrine people as kings in America. Part of that was because we felt that at one day and we felt the oppression of one religion that had to flow through when they made a decree and, 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 it, and it became a religion that was apart from God. And people came here to this land to do it differently, to, to worship Jesus Christ freely from their heart and not be bound by government. And he was just recording what the founding forefathers said, we have no king but Jesus. It was a historical document. As a matter of fact, I'll, let me read some of it to you. In 1774, this is, this is history here now, there was a report to King George. The governor of Boston noted, <clears throat> excuse me, if you ask an American who his master is, he will tell you he has none, nor any governor but Jesus Christ. The pre- War colonial committees of correspondence soon made this the American motto. And this was the motto that they were saying all across uh, this land before it became America, when, the, when, when England was trying to oppress and, and put them under uh, the same regime that they'd been under previously. This was the motto in the cry, no king but Jesus. That's all he was saying is that's what happened. And it did happen, by the way. And this sentiment was carried into the 1783 peace treaty with Great Britain ending that war, which begins this way. This is the way they, they, after England finally submitted and said, okay, you can do what you want. The peace treaty said this. This is how it started. In the name of the most holy and undivided trinity. That's our, that's our founding roots in America. Isn't that cool? No king but Jesus. And they tried to stop Ashcroft for that. Praise the Lord, they weren't able to. He got through and, and uh, I think he did a uh, super job. The, you, you never come out of uh, these politics in America without being hammered in some way. Both sides get hammered severely. But he's a godly man and still living for Jesus greatly beyond that. And, and he was pointing out something. I'm pointing out something. The scriptures are pointing this out to you. There really is no real king but Jesus. He's the supreme authority. All other authority is because he's allowed it to be in place. 
for this time. Did you know that when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible said he could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him. But since that's what he came to do, he didn't call for them. Have you ever seen a situation where someone was provoked and they were much stronger and more powerful, but they didn't strike back because restraint was the order of the day? Because lashing out would have done more damage than good? I remember when my dad and I, uh, I was just a young boy. It was in Modesto, California. We were going fishing. My uncle had a worm bed. Some of you don't know what that is, but people make them. Uh, they actually grow worms, you know, and have them breed together. And we we're going back there to dig for night crawlers in and, and my Uncle Ode's um, worm bed. And when we went back there, there was, there was an old fellow, an African-American man, just as drunk as he could be. And he got mad at my dad for no good reason. We were just coming out there and digging, and I guess he didn't want us digging out there. For some reason, he lived in an apartment close by. And when you're drunk, you don't make much sense, right? And he wasn't making any sense, and he was a little bit tipsy and rocky and could, wasn't even walking well. And he grabbed that can out of my dad's hand, and he started yelling at my dad and cursing at him. And I was just a little bitty guy, just a teeny little thing, I mean, maybe seven years old. Well, so I know something. My dad was a boxer. My dad was 6'2 and 220 pounds and could have knocked this guy flat. I mean, he's an old, skinny little guy. And you know what my dad did when that guy grabbed it? And he took the can and he threw it into my dad's stomach and just hit him hard with the can. And it hit my dad and he just backed up and he smiled at him. And he didn't do anything. And he walked away and as we walked away, I started saying, Dad, you were a chicken. You wouldn't fight that guy when he was hurting you. And dad said, son, I'm not a chicken. I'm not going to hit that old man. What good would it do him or me? He's just drunk. He doesn't even know what he's doing. Did you know sometimes when you have the power to strike back, it's not appropriate. Jesus had authority to hammer all those who were going to do him harm. But since it was the order of the day, since it had been recorded throughout history that he would come and be the spotless lamb. Since he had to lay down his life for our sins, he was restrained with all that power because love compelled him to go to the cross and that was love for you and love for me. Even though he's a humble king, don't misunderstand. This is a king who has all power in his hands. I'm gonna read you a passage of scripture. Now though it's true that... Jesus and God the Father are full of love and mercy. And they're patient, the Bible says, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to Jesus Christ. Though it's true that he's full of grace, it's also true that the Bible says about the word of God that Jesus is full of truth. Truth contains justice in it. Did you know that? And God's mercy and grace is not devoid of justice. Grace is offered when we take the sacrifice that was offered, when we apply it to our heart and lives, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, slain from the foundations of the world for our sin, when we humble ourselves and receive that truth, we can be saved. And that's grace. But if there's a willful obstinate, a denouncing the name of Jesus Christ, eventually, even if it's when someone dies, eventually judgment comes. You have to receive Jesus Christ to be saved. There's a fellow named Rob Bell who's been kind of a famous minister from the emerging church movement. And um, not all the emerging church guys are this way, by the way. But this guy just put out a book called Love Wins. 
And in the book, he makes a serious mistake. He tries to make believers think, or even unbelievers. I believe he's bowing to the unbelievers of the world to say, well, would a loving God send anyone to hell? You know, if we look at the scriptures, God's not wanting any to perish, right? But in this book, In Love Wins, he says that believers are making it sound like we have to be rescued from God because he's gonna kill us and that's what Jesus came to do. And he said, God is love. It's true God is love. It's true he's full of mercy. But he's so altogether holy, he can't cohabitate with sin. And sin had to, sin must be punished. That's what the lamb was about in the Old Testament when they would slay those animals. But it just appeased the wrath of God against sin. Why is there wrath against sin from God? Because sin hurts you. It hurts me, it steals, it kills, it destroys. Look what it did to your sons and your daughters. Look what it did to you. Look what it does to us. And Jesus, God the Father, hates it because it wounds, it kills, it maims, it destroys. And he's not gonna cohabitate with it. He's too altogether holy and wonderful. It's almost too much to explain, but he won't cohabitate with sin. Unless there's a sacrifice for that sin. And Jesus came to be the spotless lamb to take away sins once and for all. The mistake Rob Bell really makes in that book, Love Wins, is when he tells people that you can be saved even if you don't accept Jesus Christ in this life. That after you die, if you didn't accept Christ, you could still be saved. That is a dangerous thing to say. Why? Because it goes against the scriptures so much. I mean, you see the truth and the judgment in the scriptures. Now, I want to read you something, and I, I want you to see how much power Jesus has in his hands. But it might not match up with your theology. Theology is what you believe about the Bible or what your, your religious beliefs that you've formed in your mind. But I want to remind you, these are not my words that I'm about to read. These are the holy scriptures, the word of God. And if you feel differently than what these scriptures say that I'm about to read, here's what I'd recommend. I would recommend that you change your mind. Because, because the word of God is always true. And what is spoken of in the New Testament about the end times about Jesus, who came humbly on a donkey, is absolutely true. Now look at what the scriptures say. He once came on a humble donkey, but look how he's coming in the future. He's the king of kings. Revelation 19, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. That's talking about Jesus Christ. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on a white horse. He's on a white horse. They're following on white horses. Listen, he came on a donkey. He's coming back on a white horse. And look what he does. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. This is the end times now. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe... At his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh man, I was so moved this week as I read this. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he wants all to be saved. Yes, he's being patient and giving a chance. But there will come a day 
when he will show that all power is, is in his hands. And if there's persistent wickedness, persistent rebellion against him, the judgment of God is sure. It's in here. It's there. Why is it so important that people come to Jesus? Because when they're dead, if they haven't accepted Jesus, they are lost for eternity. Why am I so passionate? Why is this church so passionate about this? Because eternity is on the line. Because a loving God is reaching and you can reject him. But please, please do not reject this king who loves you. He is king of all. He is king over all. And he has all power in his hands. That leads me to my third point. Jesus is worthy of our praise. Matthew 21.10. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar when he entered. Here's this earthquake thought now. Who is this, they asked. Now there were surrounding cities that followed him in with a parade. And other people joined in who knew him, but there were a bunch of people who didn't have a clue who he was. Kind of like our society today, huh? Kind of like our neighbors. We know, but they don't know. And they're saying, what is all this about? And the crowd gathers just to watch. There are a bunch praising and others watching. The spontaneous parade becomes awesome. Jesus is showing himself as king, but remember, he's also willfully, deliberately provoking the religious leaders to now enact their plan to kill him because the time had come and he was laying down his life. They praised him on his entry, but I want to read something to you that speaks to choice that we all have. Some of them praised him, but a few days later, there were others shouting these words, and they hurt me even to read John 19, verse 14. This is just a few days later. They were once praising him. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Jesus is now captive. He's beaten and emaciated, standing before the people. And the crowd said this, away with him. What? A few days earlier they were praising him? Away with him. And then they said this, crucify him. And Pilate asked, what, crucify your king? And here's what they said, and this hurts me, you know, because people just move their allegiances to the wrong place. The religious leaders of that day yelled out, we have no king but Caesar. Whew. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Now, I, I believe predominantly this is a different crowd. It's not the same crowd because the religious leaders had been looking to kill Jesus already and it speaks of them being in this crowd. But I'm just guessing there were some, maybe a few who, who gathered in that courtyard who remembered just a few days before when they enshrined him. Why did they, why did they say nothing? Well, they might have looked at the king. We know the disciples were scattered afterwards. They didn't get it, right? And these are the apostles who walked every day with him. And they didn't get it. The one who was the king, the Messiah, was now beaten and bloodied, held captive, and they didn't get it. They didn't get it that this is what he came to do. They didn't know that every blow of those whips was an act of love when Jesus took the stripes. 
They didn't know that the nails being driven in his hands were a willing, purposeful shedding of his blood so that he could become the lamb. They didn't know that it was because the blood could be applied once for all. And they thought, surely he'd be powerful and he would be a political force. Surely he would remove the occupation of the Romans. That's what we want from our king. They wanted political and military authority. Jesus could enact that, but that's not really what he was there for. He was there to die. And they didn't get it. I think there are a lot of people in our society who don't get it. Don't talk about that bloody mess. I mean, you hear the sitcoms even bring it up, you know? Listen, it's, it's the shedding of the blood that brings the forgiveness of sin. Don't forget that the father who allowed his son to be crucified was the same power that raised the son three days later. He knew he would raise his son up. The love of God compelled him to the cross and they didn't understand. Whatever your reason Maybe there are those who are obstinate. Maybe there are those who are uh, just not sure. But if you don't choose him, there are consequences. Who do you say he is? Is he a teacher? Is he a prophet? Or is is he the king of kings? Carrie Underwood in 2005 won a little contest in a show called American Idol. She was 23 years old. Later that year on the show, after one of her performances, Simon Cowell said, I will make a prediction. Not only will you win this competition, but he said to Carrie Underwood, you'll sell more records than any other previous Idol winner. And she has, not only before, but after. As part of her title, she got a contract with... Arista Records. And one of the songs released from that album was a song entitled, Jesus Take the Wheel. How many have heard that song? Lift your hand. Okay, almost everyone. That single debuted on the number one Billboard Hot 100. That's not just country music, but all music. Um, The first week of sales, she sold 170,000 copies. It's been one of the best-selling songs of all time. I want to read it to you, and I have a question for you. Now, maybe you've decided that Jesus is Savior, but I I want to throw out a little something else for you to consider. Is he Lord? You can say that he's Savior, but when you say that he's Lord in your life, then what you're saying is I give him the steering wheel of my life. That you're looking to him for direction. That whatever he wants, it's your heart to do. And that's, that's the heart that's in this song that Carrie Underwood sang. I want to read it to you, and I want you to ask the question. Does he have the steering wheel of your life? Here it is. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands, because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go, so give me one more chance. To save me from this road I'm on, Jesus, take the wheel. Does he have the steering wheel of your life? I think he has the steering wheel of Carrie Underwood's life. Now here's a lady that could take all the praise for herself, but let me tell you what she's doing in her 2011-2012 concert tour. She sings this song because it's one of her, you know, greatest selling songs. 
She sings it in every concert. She's singing it on this tour. But behind it, she goes into a medley, a segue, into a hymn called How Great Thou Art in the concert. And I heard people who went to Portland who said that it was amazing because the Spirit of God was there and people started worshiping. Why would she do that? I think she knows something that a lot of other people don't know. I think she knows where her talent came from. I think she knows where opportunity and her influence, where it's come from. And I think she knows that she's not the one that's worthy of praise. But Jesus is. I went to the movie called Soul Surfer last week. How many of you have seen that movie? Okay, it's the story of Bethany Hamilton where she's severely injured. I won't give it all away because you should go. It made me cry. Just that and Little House on the Prairie. That's all I cry about, I promise. (laughs) Well, and this. I cry about this sometimes and a couple of other things. But let's move on as we look at this. But in that movie, Carrie Underwood plays a, a youth worker from a church. And man, Jesus and the Bible are in that movie. Something's happening in our culture. Because, the, because of the new social media, the industries can't control the flow of everything now. So I mentioned Justin Bieber a few weeks ago and how he has a Bible study out and honors God in that movie that he just re- released. This movie of Bethany Hamilton, there's a story of God's grace, love, power, deliverance in it. And Carrie Underwood found a role, her first acting role, which she does a pretty good job in. And she's honoring Jesus with that too. I just like what she's doing with her life. Now, a question for us. Are we living our lives in such a way where whatever we're involved in, we want to give Jesus the king preeminence? We want to recognize that whatever he gives us to do, we'll have opportunity along the way. Now, Carrie knows that there can be some trouble when you lift up Jesus in this culture, right? She knows that. She's just kind of moved through it and it's just been accepted that that's who she is and part of what she's about. And she was willing to take the chance. Are we willing to lift up the name of Jesus in our culture? Are we willing to give him the steering wheel? Are we willing to say, as they shouted that day, Hosanna to the King of Kings, not only with our mouth, but our lives? Since Jesus has done all this for us, and because he's the one true king, I beseech you to follow this word, Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Let's do that with our mouths and let's do that with our lives.